Um, good morning, and actually I'm going to ask the same question of all of you. I want you to take a moment and think about how that skit made you feel. Note it, and we're gonna come back to that. Okay, we'll come back to that a little later on. But first, um, if there's anything, I'm in this preaching practicum, if there's anything I've learned from Pastor Joe, what do I have to talk about? Thank you. Context. So I actually wanted to actually go deep into context and see how our memory is. What book of the Bible have we been in for a while now? Matthew. Awesome. And what do you remember about Matthew or what do you know about Matthew? Tax collector. Anything else? Disciple. Okay, so so we've been in the book of Matthew. It's one of our four gospels. Matthew is um, was a tax collector, right? Which they were kind of looked down upon, right? He was Jewish, okay? He wrote to mostly a Jewish audience, um, and tax collectors kind of would they would charge their fellow Jews taxes and kind of pocket some of that money. So they weren't really um, esteemed very highly. But he was one of the 12 called by Jesus to be kind of his closest group, his disciples. Um, so keep that in mind, because one of the things that struck me about today, is this making a lot of weird noise to you? I'm fine. This is just me. I'll ignore it. Okay. Um, this parable that is our scripture text today is only found in the book of Matthew. So whenever that happens, I, I often think, what is it about this particular teaching of Jesus that maybe struck a chord with Matthew that he decided to include it in his gospel text? Um, you know, we're told in the end of John, right, that, you know, there aren't enough books in the world or enough, there's not enough room in the world to, to contain all of the stories and everything that Jesus has taught. So those gospel writers had to discern through the Holy Spirit what they're going to include in their gospel. And so let that sit with you because I've been thinking this week as I've been looking at this parable, what is it about this parable that might have been special to Matthew as our gospel writer today? Um, so again, I want to thank the actors and, and, um, the whole drama crew for putting together, together this adaptation of our parable, but I do want to look at the actual text. So if we can put that up, um, and in the beginning, I want to really focus on just the beginning of the text, which says for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And we can just stay right there for a minute. Notice that it does not say the kingdom of heaven is like. It says for the kingdom of heaven is like. Does that strike you? Because it did me, and it made me think, well, that inclusion of the word for is telling us it's linked to what came before it. Okay, it's not just because we got a chapter marker in there in the, the, the span of how this played out and Jesus talking to his disciples and his audience, this is picking up where we left off with last week's sermon and last week's scripture in Matthew 19. So let's get more context. Who remembers what the sermon was about last week? You can't answer. <laughs> 
Okay, that was part of it, right? So the rich young ruler was part of it. Um, I'll give you a hint. Pastor Joe used a prop of having the wheelchair come up and Catherine got in the chair. Do you remember that? Okay. Um, so there were really kind of, I had to read that scripture chunk and it was really long. Okay. So like, it's fair if we don't remember all the points, but it started with having the children come, the children, people were bringing children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. Right. And Jesus said, let the children come to me. Then we had, um, the part that Kenny just shared, right. Of this rich young man coming to Jesus and wanting to know, um, how he could have eternal life. Right. And, um, he, he seems like, and I'm going to return to this in a minute. This young man seems like a box checker, right? Well, I did this check, did this check, did this. I'm good. No adultery, no murder, no stealing. I'm good. And Jesus challenges him where he's putting something before God, right? And it's his riches and picking up from that Chapter 19 ends with this discussion with his disciples where Peter says, well, see, we've left everything. We're not, we're not like the rich young ruler, right? Like, I don't have a bunch of riches. I left everything behind to follow you. So what will we have? And Jesus starts talking about kind of this idea of rewards, okay? And the disciples will have their place on the 12 thrones. And then, but he ends with... Verse 30 that says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So does that sound familiar? Okay. Because Pastor Joe, that was your last line in this skit. And we're going to see it's pretty much the last line of this parable. So Jesus picks up from that, but many who are first will be last and the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. So what we're about to talk about today is essentially an illustration of this idea that he planted just prior. I know it's been a week for us, but in true time, it would have been just prior um, of the idea of the kingdom of heaven and of rewards. Okay, so let's look at the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole scripture for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, and a denarius, by the way, is, I mean, we said $200, but it, you know, it was a decent day's wage for, uh, for one day's worth of work. Um, and going out about the third, hold on. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. 
did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So as I said, this scripture today ends with the same idea as the chapter uh, prior, Matthew 19. And our scripture, it's that continuation of his answer to Peter about the concept of rewards for those who have given up everything and who have followed Jesus. And he's telling us, in essence, it is an illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. The ethics of the kingdom, so to speak. Now, our scripture today is also a parable. So a parable is like a simple story used to teach a lesson. Okay, it, it often has like a singular point. Um, it has its limitations, okay, but that's not the point of it. So for example, in, in our story today, in our scripture today, Jesus tells us why he's telling this parable. It's to illustrate the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven is like. So, you know, it's not like a blueprint on how to run a successful business, for example. Okay? Um, I, you know, I'm a union rep for my, my school. I, that wouldn't sit well, okay? It's not like, um, you know, something you would learn in business college or something like that. It, his point is to use a very simple illustration that would be very common in this day, which is la day laborers and going out into the field, vineyard work, to explain something about the kingdom of heaven that is so drastically different than how the world operates. So let's break this parable apart, and I want to talk about, like, who are the players in this story? So we first have the vineyard owner, okay, the master of the house who owns a vineyard. He, in the, in the parable, he goes out to the marketplace a total of five times to hire laborers. So... In the scripture text, notice they mention another person, his foreman, okay? So his foreman would be someone who's like a full-time employee, could have been his son, could be a family member, who knows, but someone who regularly works for him. So something that struck me is that while this master of the house, this vineyard owner, has a foreman, that's not who he sends out to get the workers, so notice that this man is rich enough, right? He has status to own this whole property, whatever it is. He has a full-time employee, but he's the one who's going out and seeking not just once, twice, three times, a total of five times he's seeking these workers to bring to his vineyard. That struck me. This vineyard owner, he seeks and he pursues and it reminded me of a, I don't know how long ago, a couple chapters ago, it could have been a few weeks ago, when we looked at the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So even notice in the skit, there was a sense of urgency. Joe, uh, Pastor Joe is telling them like these grapes, they're ripe, they're going to rot. Okay. But he keeps coming back, coming back to get more workers. And 
this vineyard owner as this image of our father seeks and pursues and keeps going back to the marketplace. Also notice he pays everyone the same. And he makes the point of saying, it's all his, right? It's his vineyard, it's his money, and he's going to do what he wants with it. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, also in our parable, we have these day laborers, and we can kind of break them into two groups. So there are those who are hired a little later, right? At nine, at noon, at three, at five. What were they doing? That they, I mean, it would be very well known at this time period that if you want a job, you get to the marketplace. So this is, if you're not familiar, like that's a pretty common practice then and even now in our own country where day laborers know that there's a spot they can go to and people who are gonna hire them for a day to go work out in their fields or whatever, their factory, can come and they can get on the truck and go get hired. So it would be very common knowledge as Kathy's character said, early bird gets the worm, be very common knowledge that you gotta get there early if you're gonna get a job. So where on earth was Joe Croto? <laughs> I mean, he could have been sitting at the lake, enjoying his coffee, then finally realized, oh no, I don't have anything to eat, I gotta go work. I mean, where were, I don't know where people were, do we know? Do we know why they were late? I mean, that should have factored in to how much money they got. I mean, were they just being lazy? Whatever it is, we're not told, but they didn't show up on time, right? Now, then there was Kathy, diligent, got their first thing in the morning, knew the rules, right? And worked the whole day in the heat, in the sun. But Kathy and Russ, you joined her, grumbled, okay? Grumbled, complained. They thought the vineyard owner was unfair. So how many of you, I asked you to think about how that skit made you feel, how many of you felt like, mm, that's a little unfair? Has it ever happened to you when you're reading in the Bible, this is a total aside, but does it ever happen to you when you're reading in the Bible and you're like, I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but man, that's unfair, okay? Because I think that's how we're supposed to feel when we read this. And that's how the listen, Jesus, his, his disciples and the people he's talking to, that's how that's gonna sit with them. Wait, this guy works an hour and he's getting the same amount of money? That's unfair, okay? And that sense of fairness, it's such a common attitude that we have as humans, right? And it's, you know, I instantly think of either being a child or being a parent here because I feel like that's the most common complaint as a parent you hear. That's unfair. You gave Jude this and blah, blah, blah. Annalise said, are you going to mention me? I mean, fine. You know, she's six years older than my son, and the biggest complaint was that he got a cell phone at a at a younger age and she was allowed to. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, that's unfair. You try and split a pizza, right, with your family and your husband takes three quarters of it and everyone else is like, that's unfair, you know? So like, it's just that natural kind of response. We want, like, 
you know, things to be even. We want, every, you know, and we also have this sense of um, what you put in, you, you get, right? Okay, so sometimes, I mean, this could happen you, if you've ever been pulled over and you're like, the guy in front of me was going so much faster, that's unfair. Why am I being pulled over, okay? Or maybe back when you were in school, why did they also get an A? You know, they, they didn't do half of the work on this project. They don't deserve that. So it, I think that sense of fairness, we learn the rules of the world at a very early age, okay? Now, that attitude and that grumbling that we saw on the part of Kathy's character and Russ's character reminded me of the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. So if you are, many of you are probably familiar with that story. If you're not, um, I'm going to briefly summary, summarize, but definitely go read it. Luke chapter 15. Um, it is such a powerful story and lesson. But in essence, right, there's this younger son and he more or less says to the dad, like, I want my inheritance now, like I don't want to wait till you die. And so dad gives him all his stuff, he goes off and he squanders it on, you know, some pretty rough and wild living. Okay? And he the older brother, he's the box checker, right? He stays. He's dutiful. He does what he's supposed to do. And Eventually, the younger brother finds himself in dire straits, and he's like, I don't have anything to eat. I am destitute. I'm going to go back. And he has a whole spiel memorized in his head of how he's going to essentially beg for forgiveness and ask for a, just a job as a hired servant um, and his dad, uh, with his dad. But that's not the reception he gets, right? When he comes home, his dad rejoices, puts a robe on him, throws a party. His son is home. It's like that lost sheep parable, right? That... that the, son, the dad is just overjoyed. But who's not overjoyed? The older brother, right? The older brother is like these workers, right? The older brother is jealous and bitter. And the older brother is like, I have put in my time. I stayed here, I looked after you, I did my work, and you've never given me this, this, or this. And what he misses, right, is that his reward was there all along. His reward is being with the Father, right? His reward is, is right there, and he's bitter about the love and the generosity that his father shows to his younger brother, and I think, and I'll speak for myself, but you can think for your, in your own um, position, I've been there. I mean, I feel like I've been there. I've been that older brother. I have been that show up at the crack of dawn worker who then finds themselves bitter when other people get blessed who maybe didn't do what I think they should have done, right? And And... I know for myself, I am a box checker. Yep, oh, no adultery, no murder, no stealing. I'm good. I should get all of this. And that's not how it works. And I think that sometimes, honest with ourselves, we can have that attitude, right, of, of bitterness towards the love and mercy and grace that's been shown to others. 
Jesus, um, these workers and me, I've been there, these workers and the older brother really display the mentality of our world, right? That you get what you give, you get what you deserve, and you get what's fair, okay? But Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate by that standard. So let's ask ourselves this question. How many of you want to get what you deserve from God? That was a question I asked myself this week. Okay, I want to grumble. Do I really want to get what I deserve from God? Because we're told in scripture what we deserve. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in 6.23, it says, For the wages... What are the wages? Am I going to get a denarius? Am I going to get the 200 bucks? What are the wages? Death. The wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. The story, though, speaks of amazing generosity for those who work only an hour. They don't get what they deserve. They get far more. And it's a picture of how we as sinners, we don't get what we deserve. God and his kingdom doesn't operate based on our concept of fairness, of you get what you put in. He operates based on generosity and on grace. That Jesus would give his life and die and pay for sinners like you and for me. And we're told it's for by grace, not by works, not by our own efforts, we are saved. By grace, God's unmerited, free, and wonderful goodness to those who don't deserve it. And this story ultimately is about the amazing, generous grace of God. Now, our scripture, it ends similarly, as I mentioned before, to last, last week's scripture with the concept that the last will be first and the first last. In the kingdom of heaven, it flips things upside down. It doesn't operate the way the world does. An amazing example of this um, is found in the gospel of Luke chapter 23. In Jesus's last moments, we're told that there are two criminals who are crucified next to him. Now, in Matthew's account, we're told that both of them hurled insults at Jesus. In Luke's account, he tells us that one of them repents. Picking up in uh, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief on the cross, he believed that Jesus was a king with a real kingdom. He believed he was a king, yet more than an earthly king. And he was a savior king who was able to take him to a heavenly kingdom. And Jesus responds to this repentant thief with the most hopeful words possible. 
he says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So a thief who woke up in the morning, having lived a life contrary to God's will, having lived a life of taking advantage of other people, a thief who woke up that morning on his way to hell had his eternal destiny changed with a simple plea to the Savior, Jesus, remember me. And that thief, like the workers who came in at the last hour, was welcomed in and shown irrational, scandalous, overflowing, super generous grace. Amen. One of the things I noticed in, in my Bible, NIV version, ESV, there's often the, you know, they have the little titles. Those weren't there originally, but you know how they have the little titles. Um, this says like the laborers in the vineyard. And the thing that I thought of is that like this story isn't about the work that the workers did. It's all about the vineyard owner. It's all about the master of the house who owns the vineyard because all of it is his. And he chooses to show grace and mercy to those that answer the call. So back to the fact that Matthew includes this parable in his gospel. You know, it got me thinking, like, who maybe was Matthew thinking about? Like, what was it about this story? I mean, it could have been Matthew's audience is primarily Jewish. I mean, maybe the, those who bore the burden of the day were the Jews, right? They were the chosen people. And how were they going to feel when the Gentiles come in at the last hour and God's going to give them the same? Could have been. Or maybe Matthew, as having been a tax collector, maybe he recognized the incredible generosity shown to him by Jesus, that while he might have come a little late to the game, he was being given that same reward of relationship and eternal life as the others were. So God, God offers his gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, to those that have grown up in church their whole life, gone to Awana, gone to Christian college, become pastors or missionaries, as well as those who like the thief on the cross and the 5 p.m. day workers calling his name in their last moments. And I think if you're like me, one of those box checkers, we have to acknowledge the fact that we can't want mercy and grace for ourselves, but justice and fairness and what people deserve for everyone else, right? So ultimately, the God, like the vineyard owner, deals with us according to who he is, not according to who we are. And for that, we should be forever grateful. Amen? Amen. All right, would you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father. We thank you for that truth, God, that you, you deal with us according to who you are. And we thank you for your kingdom of heaven and the ethics of your kingdom, God, that it, it is not about our works. God, we acknowledge and we know that if it were up to us, the wages we would earn are death. 
We do not deserve your goodness, and yet you are the most generous king who bestows grace and mercy on us. And we thank you for that, God. And we pray each day that you will help us become more and more aware of how that grace operates in our life and help us reflect that grace and extend that grace to others, God. Lord, we thank you for being here with us this morning. And we ask God even now that you will be with the kids as they're learning this same message, God. Help them learn about who you are as the vineyard owner and your heart. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that most amazing, generous grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.